Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu Shebeshemayim, our Father in Heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love. We pray that your word would go forth to encourage your people this morning, um, that you would edify and build up your community um, through the, the hearing of your word. And in Yeshua's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> We're going to begin our story, I'm, I'm sorry, <clears throat> take two. We're going to begin our sermon this morning with story time. All right, so if you have any kids uh, around, if they're in the other room, you might want to grab them gently and usher them in because we're going to begin this morning with a story. This is a story by Dr. Amy Jill Levine, a Jewish New Testament scholar and friend to us Messianic Jews. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, getting old. <sighs> Oh, this chair is heavy. Oh, all right. Um, it is uh, based on, this story is based on this week's New Covenant portion. It's a particular parable of Yeshua, and it is called, Who Counts? Who Counts? 100 sheep, 10 coins, and two sons. Uh, Dr. Levine I'll get there, babe. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Dr. Levine gave me permission, a special permission to read this uh, at, in, in the sermon. So if you want to support her and get a copy for a young person in your life, it, it is available on Amazon.com if you like it. So now I would like to invite all the children. Let all the little children come unto me, and I will tell you a story, and you can self-identify as a child. So if you are an, a, an older kid, perhaps you want to sit in the front so you can see the pictures. Yes, Eric, do you want to see the nice pictures? You can come sit up in the front. Older kids, all right, there's an older one. You don't have to sit on the floor. Okay, you can. All right, very cute. What grade are you in? <laughs> he's homeschooled. He's not, yes. Yeah, you know, I really did not think this through. Uh, you, you, yes. You're, okay, would you guys like to hear a story? Yes, all right. Well, you guys have to make sure all the big kids behave too, okay? Keep an eye on them. All right. <clears throat> Who Counts? By Amy Gillivine and Sandy Eisenberg Sasso. One hundred sheep. One hundred sheep. If just a single one were lost, who would notice? Who counted sheep anyway? The man did. The man had a lot of sheep. How many sheep do you think he had? 
a hundred of them. He counted them every day. One, two, should I keep going? No, skip a few, 99, 100. Okay, he kept counting. It took a long time to count. Have you ever counted to 100? Takes a long time, right? One day, the man counted. Then he stopped. There were only 99. He must have made a mistake. He had 100 sheep, not 99. He counted again. One, two, should I keep going? Skip a few, 99. Uh. Still, there were only 99. One of his sheep was missing. Oh, no. Do you see where it might be? Yeah, but he doesn't see. He was responsible for all the sheep, all 100 of them. Immediately, the man went to look for the lost sheep. He walked and walked, but he saw nothing. He kept walking. He looked to the left. Nothing. Do you see the sheep? Wait, what does it say? (laughs) He looked to the right. Nothing. He walked and listened. Still nothing. Then he heard it. A bleeding sound. Wow. Got a professional here. He ran toward the sound. (laughs) And there she was, the lost sheep. He had found her. They're so happy. Why do you think they're so happy? They found each other, yeah. She was too tired to follow him home, so he lifted her on his shoulders and carried her. Does anybody carry you guys? You carry him? Wow. Strong and a good sheep impersonator. Got it all going on. He was so happy to have all his sheep together that he invited everyone to celebrate. Some people said, what's so wonderful? It was only one sheep. You had 99 others. The man smiled. One sheep makes a difference. Without her, something is missing. Now my flock is 100 complete. This is another story. Ten coins. Ten drachmas. Can you say drachma? Drachma. Drachma. That's a coin. Yeah, very good. Ten silver coins. Every day the woman would count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Then one day she counted. She stopped. She couldn't have made a mistake, but she counted again anyway. Still, she counted only nine. One drachma was missing. She had lost one of her coins. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. The woman lit a lamp to see more clearly. She looked under the chairs and in the corners. No coin. Do you see where the coin is? Yeah, it's it's hiding there. She looked, yeah. Do you think she sees it? You want to see? Take a look. She looked in cabinets and in wastebaskets. Still no drachma. She took a broom and swept the floor. There were crumbs and dust, but no coin. It was all her fault. Oh, no, drachma. Yeah, good. (laughs) She had lost the coin. Now she must find it. She searched again with the light and the broom. Finally, she saw something shining, and she heard a ping. She looked down, and there it was, the missing, the missing ping, yes, (laughs) the missing coin. She held the coin in her hand a few moments, and then she carefully placed it with the other drachmas. 
She was so happy to have all the coins, she invited the women in the town to celebrate. Some people said, Psh, whoa, can you help me out? Can you re-keep on me? Thank you. Thank you so much. She was so happy to have all the coins, but some people said, Psh, what's so important? It was only one coin. The woman smiled. Just one coin matters. Without it, something is missing. Now my coin collection is... Ten complete. That's right. Uh, well, there's going to be two sons. That's right. A father had two sons. Easier to count than ten, much easier than a hundred. One day, the younger son wanted half his father's money. He, it would be his eventually, but he couldn't wait. Oh, I couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to see, just like you. Can you have a seat for me, B? Can you sit right there for me? Thank you so much. It would be his eventually, but he couldn't wait. He was restless, and he wanted to travel. So the father divided his wealth in half and gave half to his younger son and half to the older son. The younger son went to a foreign land. There he had a great time doing whatever he wanted. Look, he's shopping. What do you think he bought? Food. Mmm. Candy, yeah. But before long, he had spent all his money and had none left, not even to pay for food. There was no one to share even a crumb of bread with him, and there was little food in the land. Uh-oh. Oh, well, that's a, good, that's a good advice. Let's see what he does. The son went to work for a farmer. Hey, you, you have good advice. And try to earn enough to buy something to eat. The farmer told him to go and feed the pigs. Even the pods that the pigs ate looked good. Does that look good to you guys? You want to eat the, the pigs' pods? He's, he's, uh, he's really in bad shape, huh? Finally, the son was so hungry and tired, he decided to return to his father. But he wasn't sure what to say. How could he tell his father that he'd spent all his money? His good pants were torn, his shirt was stained, his fancy shoes had holes. He thought, I will tell my father I made a big mistake. He will, I will say that I am sorry, and I will offer to work hard to earn money. The young son returned home. His hair was uncombed. His face was dirty. His hands were covered in blisters. But who's that? Who's that running to meet him? The dad, his father ran to greet him. He was so happy to see him. He did not care about anything else. Instead of making his son earn money for clothing and food, he gave him a new coat, ooh, and new shoes, and an, even a new ring. Ooh. Can you say ooh? Ooh. Then he invited everyone to his home to celebrate. Ring a ring a ring a ring a ring. The older son was still working in the field when he heard the news. The happy sounds of singing and laughter and smelled sweet spices coming from his home. He wondered what was happening. What's happening in there, do you think? They're celebrating. He stopped one of the neighbors who was heading to his house and asked, What is going on? The neighbor was surprised by the question. Don't you know that your father is making a big party for your brother to mark his return? The older brother did not know. When the father counted everyone who had come to the party, he realized 
one person was missing. That person was, who was missing? The other son, his older son, he had forgotten to invite him. He ran out of the house to find his son. When the older son saw his father coming, he turned away, and he was so sad and angry that no one had come to find him. Ooh. His father spoke softly. Your brother has come home. I invited all our friends to celebrate with us. You must come and be glad with us. He tried to hug his son, but his son folded his arms across his chest. The older son finally said to his father, I have been with you all the years that my brother has been away, and I did not waste your money. I did everything you wanted me to do. I never left you. My brother did. Then you make a big party for him. You never had one for me. You didn't even invite me to his party. The father thought, hmm, I have two sons. One, two. I paid attention to my younger son, but I discounted my older son. I didn't realize that he felt lost. The father took his older son's hands in his own. Please come and join the party. I love you, and all I have is yours. Come and be with me and with your brother. I have two sons. He counted one, and he pointed to the house where his younger son was celebrating, and then he counted two. Two, and he put his arms around his older son. Without you, he said, something is missing. With you, our family is complete. And that is the end of the story. Did you like the story, boys and girls? All right. I'm going to go back up here, and you guys can go back and sit with your parents or uh, whoever has a guardianship over you, Mary, I'm not sure. You guys were so well-behaved during that story. I'm very impressed. And we have some good readers in here as well. I wanted us to read this story because today is Shabbat Shuvah, meaning the Shabbat of return or the Shabbat of repentance. It is a very special Shabbat because, as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, it falls between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur during the Days of Awe. Our community has been praying and repenting and interceding every night at 7 p.m. during this time, right over there in the small sanctuary. It's been a beautiful and fruitful time of intimacy with God. The story we read is based on the parable. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son, but it could just as easily be titled something else. That title is not actually in the Bible. Rabbi Russ Resnick refers to it as the forgiving father. We could call it that, right? Perhaps we could title it the son who stayed. Maybe it's about him. We could really enter the story from the point of view of any of the three main characters. Dr. Levine's main takeaway, uh, having looked at the Jewish background and the context of the parable, is, is that it's a story not just about repentance and forgiveness, but also about completeness, which in, in Hebrew is shalom. The parables at the beginning of the book about the sheep and the coins, they are right before the parable of the 
prodigal son or a forgiving father in the book of Luke. So they're all in the same chapter of Luke, uh, which is chapter 15. Yeshua seems to be making a connection here. We are complete when we realize that everyone counts. Avinu, our father, God, is calling all his children back to himself. Those that are far off and those that are a little closer by, we all need to return. Some may say, like the younger son, how can I return as a son, as a child? I am no longer worthy because of my time away. But the father wants you home. Some may say, like the older son, how can I return when I never left? But the father wants you inside at the party with the younger son. This is a famous parable, and it has been interpreted as an allegory in many ways, sometimes even in anti-Jewish ways. But looking at the original context is helpful. Yeshua's original audience would have thought of the brother-against-brother narratives, especially in Genesis. You know, the older brother, the younger brother, they don't tend to get along. They would have pictured the enmity of Jacob and Esau, for example, and the problem there is favoritism. They would also have thought about inheritance law and the blessing of the firstborn son, which in this case would be the older son. They would have been surprised at the younger son. For him to ask for his inheritance early is basically like asking your own father, can I have now what you're going to give me when you die? Is that, is that okay? This is a major disrespectful move, uh, and it would have been to the original audience. The, the younger son is cashing out early. He's causing the father to trade in his land. He's, he's probably liquidating something, right, which we know is valuable in the text. The land is our inheritance. It's our promise. He's giving up his livelihood and his assets to enable the son to take the money now. This prevents the son from contributing to the family farm, right? And it puts the father, uh, it puts on him an unnecessary financial burden. The older son and the father, they are now without, right? So that the younger son can go off and do whatever he wants to do. The storiness of a parable, it invites us in, right? We, 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 connect with these characters. Maybe the older son is justified in what he's saying. On the other hand, maybe the older son is bitter, and the younger son deserves a second chance. We are invited to think about this in, this, uh, in the text. After all, don't we all deserve a second chance? So I just want to do a, a brief survey here. Raise your hand if you sympathize more with the elder brother. You think that he is uh, justified in what he's saying. Okay? Raise your hand if you sympathize uh, more with the younger brother who went off and you think he deserves a second chance. Interesting. Well, Dr. Levine explains that mostly uh, only children and older siblings sympathize with the older brother. Is that true? Yes? And uh, he's the responsible one who never left, right? As, As older siblings are. And most younger siblings naturally sympathize with the younger brother. Is that true? 
Are you? Okay, very good. But maybe the point isn't about the sons at all, but about the behavior of the father. In the story of the sheep and the coins, no rational person would do that for one sheep or one coin. For shepherds, sheep wander off all the time. Would you really go into the woods on a wild sheep chase? For a woman with a coin collection, do you really have to overturn all your furniture in the middle of the night by yourself? Why not, like, wait until daylight or at least get some buddies to help you, right? These people, they're a little off kilter, I think. And so the man with the sheep, the woman with the coins, and now the father with the sons, they all have something in common. What are they doing? They're going out of their way. There's a going out of your wayness to them. An extra dose of seeking out what is lost. Beyond what is rational, beyond what makes sense, there's a going out of your wayness. How else can we understand the love of God who goes out of his way to reach us? Us, his wandering, sometimes ungrateful children. The love of the father is sharply contrasted here with the behavior of the younger son. But does he repent? Does he really return in his heart? In Pesikta Rabati, which is a Jewish Midrash writing from the ninth century, there's a similar parable about repentance. And uh, this is in uh, 184b to 185a. And I think we have it up here. A king had a son who had gone astray from him on a journey of a hundred days. His friend said to him, return to your father. And he said, I cannot. Then his father sent a message to him saying, return as far as you can, and I will come the rest of the way to you. In a similar way, God says, return to me, and I will return to you. In other words, we return as much as we can, and we trust the Father to run out to us, to wrap his arms around us, and to do the rest. In the parable of the forgiving Father in Luke, it does not say that the Son repented. His statement with the pigs, he's, uh, he's there, that he should go back to his Father, is mostly about his own survival. You know, there's plenty of food back my father's house, I'll go back and say to my father that I should be like one of his hired servants. And then he has an apology, but he rehearses that apology. This is what I'm going to say. Is it genuine? Perhaps not. We are assuming in this story that in the process of the father's love, that full repentance in the younger son takes place. But this is after the return and the running and the hugging. It takes place after the story. The point is that the, extrava the extravagant and out-of-his-way love of the Father, it brings forgiveness. It brings full return and shalom. That is completeness. Repentance is sometimes wrapped up in a process of the extravagant forgiver. Repentance is sometimes wrapped up in a process of the extravagant forgiver. 
You know, <clears throat> I can think of a few things more fun than repenting. You know, a root canal, being chased by an angry goat, that thing where you're wearing socks and you step in something wet. No one likes to repent, to return. We have excuses. We think, I'm too far gone. God will know I'm not sincere. Or we think, well, let me get cleaned up. Let me at least clean myself up a bit, and then I'll return, then I'll go back. Or we think, I'm already here. I'm already home. How can I return? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a pretty good person. What do I need to repent or return for? But what we learn from the parable of the forgiving father is that repenting is good for you. Repenting is sometimes a process. You know, kids don't want to do things that are good for them all the time. They don't want to eat their broccoli. They don't want to go to bed early. They don't want to brush their teeth. They don't want to do their homework. But these are all good for them, right? And we're the same way. When the Father reveals something to you that is in the way of your relationship with him, and you return to him so that he can clean you up through his forgiving love, man, it's nothing like it. Most of us brush our teeth regularly, but when you go to the dentist, what does the dentist say? You get that, that deep clean, right? And the dentist is always like, see, your regular brushing, it's not getting into those hard-to-reach areas. Is this true for others or just me? Am I alone here? Okay, good. Um, but uh, likewise, even though repenting or returning to God, it's a regular occurrence, right? We do it regularly, but it helps to have every once in a while a deep clean, such as during the days of awe, during the season we're in now. It doesn't always feel good, but it is always good for us. If you are feeling lost, you can return to God. If you are feeling guilty or broken or hurting, you can return to God. If you're feeling like a pretty good person, you probably don't have much to repent for, you can return to God. Why? Because Everyone counts. The home of the Father is not complete without you. Your return to God brings wholeness and completeness, shalom. And if that's true, then your neighbor also has a place to return. And your neighbor's return to God brings shalom. Do we say like the elder brother, but this younger brother doesn't deserve your forgiveness, Father. He made his choices. He is disinherited. His actions have hurt the rest of us. How can you just take him back like that? What about me? To this attitude, I say, everyone counts. Everyone counts. God is not only inviting us to return to him, but to make a path for others to return. And one way to do that is to tell our story, our parable, of how we return to the Father 
only as far as we could. And we were broken and we were bruised. And to tell how he ran out to meet us. And before we could even finish our apology, which we had rehearsed, he squeezed us tight. Or maybe we can tell about how we felt lost, even though we were technically pretty close, and how God let us know that we counted. Let us proclaim his forgiveness and redemption in our own lives as a story of invitation. Now is the hour to repent, to return to God. Now is the time to proclaim that everyone counts. Everyone counts to God. Now is the time to share our own story of return. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Abba, you are a good father to us. And we, we're, we're like sheep, Lord. <laughs> we're, we wander around. We, we bat at weird times. Um, and uh, we're, we're not that smart, Lord. But your, your out-of-your-way love for us is so indescribable and so amazing. We, we praise you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you that you went out of your way to reach us, that one lost sheep. That you count us and that we matter to you. And we ask that you help us to share the story of your extravagant love, the story of the forgiving Father with those who might be lost or might be feeling lost or might be far away or might be not so far away, but that we would create space for that invitation so that we can all enter into your house, your celebration, your party, and the fullness of your forgiveness and your love through Yeshua the Messiah. And in his name we pray. Amen.